This morning, we are getting into a very interesting passage in 1 Thessalonians. And I'm excited to dig into this text today. I'll begin just by reading the passage. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of God for his people this morning. Thanks be to God. So, I don't know if anyone else read these books when you were younger, but I used to love the Choose Your Own Adventure books. And in those books, you'd go into some situation and it would, you, you would make choices. And so it'd say like, go to the front door, um, then you go to page 112. Or if you want to go around to the back door, it's page 86. And so you'd have choices to make throughout the book. Well, they came out with games. And so this winter, during our pandemic quarantine time, we played the Choose Your Own Adventure game, House of Danger. And so it's the same idea. You would make choices, and we played together as a family, like we're, we're, we were cooperating. We weren't playing against each other or anything. And, and so took about six nights. It was a great family time. In fact, if anyone wants to borrow this game, you know, um, you'd be welcome to, to, to use that yourself. But here is where we ended up. So the good news is that at the end, we survived. And in fact, we found an alien spaceship. So that's the good news. Here's the, the rest of it. Um, it says, goal achieved. And so it says, that should do it. You strap yourselves into the seats and rocket through the Earth's atmosphere just in time to gaze out of a porthole and see the planet Blake break apart and explode in a blinding flash of light. Your ship is rocked by the resulting shockwave but survives intact. So, so was that a victory? Like, we survived, but the entire planet, the whole world was destroyed. But you know what? The world's going to end anyways, isn't it? You know? And in fact, if you watch movies, there's a lot of movies lately about the end of the world. Sometimes it's by aliens. Sometimes it's by a plague, a pandemic. Sometimes it's by an asteroid or World War Z zombies, whatever. You know, nuclear war. There's the, the, it seems like our culture believes the world's going to end. And we as believers in Christ agree with them. This world will come to an end, but we know 
that it will come to an end, not because of all those things, but when Jesus Christ returns. The second coming of Jesus. Jesus came once in humility as a baby to to proclaim the message. And the next time he comes, he will come to set things right in the world. He will come in power and glory and deal with all the evil and junk that abounds in this world. And he will bring in the eternal kingdom of God where we'll live with God forever. So that is where we're headed. Um, Our passage today speaks towards that coming. And it speaks, and this is a very much debated passage. And it talks about something called the rapture. The rapture was the part of the verse where it says, we will be caught up in the air to meet Jesus as he descends. So that's the rapture part, being caught up in the air. But there are two views, main views, on what happens at that point, what the rapture is all about. And so um, when you think, thinking in terms of the choose your own adventure, we're going to talk today about two doors, door number one and door number two, about what does the rapture mean, what happens, and what's it all about. And my goal this morning is to first describe the two different views to help you understand what each, each view is saying. And then we're going to turn to the passage and, and kind of elucidate the, some details in the passage. And then we will, I'll talk about, you know, what does it mean? And, and how does it matter to us right now? But I want to start with this, a perspective. The rapture and its meaning is a debatable topic for followers of Jesus. It is one of these secondary issues that Christians should not divide over or get contentious. As we go through, I'm going to make the case for what I've come to believe on this issue, and it may be different than you've heard from a popular preacher on, well, I'd say TV, but it's probably on YouTube now, right? So um, what I ask us to do is to engage the scriptures and try to understand what it's saying. And if you end up at a different place where I am on this issue, that's okay. We're still a part of the same fellowship of believers. So that's the first perspective I want to start with. So let's get into these doors. Door number one, the rapture as a secret escape from the great tribulation. So in this view, the the return of Christ, and the word for return or coming is, is the Greek word parousia. Parousia, it mentions quite a bit in scriptures that there will be a parousia when Jesus comes again. In this view, the parousia is not the final return of Christ, but it is a preliminary and hidden coming where Jesus comes down to spirit away his people before a year, a seven years of tribulation that will take place before the great final end of things. This is the left behind picture. The le- you could call it the left behind door. Maybe you've seen those movies or read the books, but the left behind series, is a dis- that's door number one. And in this view, Christians will simply disappear in the blink of an eye. One will be taken and another left behind. Uh, I get, I've heard the airlines, in the, at least in the old days, would not have two Christians be po- pilot and co-pilot for fear that that one would disappear and the other, you know, or that both would disappear. So they always made sure one was not a believer. Um, and, 
And so the Christians will simply disappear. There will be seven years of judgments. So if you want to know more about that, read the book of Revelation. Um, it'll be bad. And, but that really is a time as an opportunity to repent for those who had not come to faith in Jesus earlier. And then at the end of seven years will be the, main, the final battle, the main return, and the final judgment. The idea behind door number one, rapture, the secret escape, is spare, Jesus is sparing his followers from the, the worst of the great tribulation. There's a place where he says, for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Um, there's variations in this view. Um, what I said is the pre-trib view. There's also a mid-trib view where he takes people away halfway through the tribulation. But there's all kinds of small variations. Um, this, view, this is the main scripture passage that, that this view, that spells out the, the rapture view. So, in, in, so it's, this is kind of based a lot primarily on the passage we just read. So that's door number one. What's door number two? Door number two is the rapture as joining in the triumphal victory parade at the second coming of Christ. That Jesus is coming, and this is the final return. He's coming to claim ownership of the world. That Jesus is Lord, and he's coming to, to claim the world as his own. And he will come, as you know, we say in the Apostles' Creed, he will come again to judge the, the quick and the dead and deal with evil. Jesus returns with a loud trumpet call. And that, that trumpet calls forth the dead from their graves. But those who are left alive are also affected as we take on our new resurrection bodies. And having done that, we rise in the air to greet Jesus as he is arriving to, to, to claim the end times kingdom. And, and then we join him as he continues to descend and into this world. In other words, we become part of the parade as Jesus is descending to the, the earth. Um, then Jesus brings an end to the powers and structures of this world, initiates the new kingdom where people dwell with him forever, not as souls, but as resurrected people. We will have bodies. Um, so the rapture part of it, being caught up in the air, is so that we can greet Jesus just as he's arriving. And there's a key word in, in the passage we read. It's, it's the word that's translated to meet, where it says to meet him in the air. That word is apentesis. And here's what F.F. F. Bruce says about that word. Um, he's a Bible scholar and what it means in Greek. He says, when a dignitary paid an official visit, a parousia, to a city in Hellenistic times, in Greek times, the action of the leading citizens in going out to meet and escort him back on the final stage of his journey was called the apentesis. So the word for saying we meet him in the air is we're meeting him to escort him back into the city. That's, that's how that word was used in the Greek world. So we join the parade as Jesus arrives triumphantly upon the earth. And that's for those believers who are left alive at the parousia. And there we join with the saints and the angels. Um, those who died beforehand are also in the, in the parade. So that's door number two. Door number one 
is, is a main part of dispensational theology. You, you may not have heard it. Don't worry about it if you haven't. But dispensational theology, if you, if you want an example of a popular teacher, uh, David Jeremiah, is he teaches door number one, teaching about the rapture. Door number two would be R.C. Sproul, um, who is now passed away himself. He's, he's with the saints in the, the view of Christ. But here's what he says, and this is a great summary of door number two from uh, R.C. Sproul's book. Sorry, it won't be on your screen, so you just have to follow along. It says, at the coming of Christ, the church will experience a rapture being taken up in the air to meet Christ as he comes. The rapture will not be secret, but open and manifest. Its purpose will not be to whisk the elect away from the earth for a while until Christ returns for a second, second coming. The purpose of the rapture is to allow the saints to meet Jesus in the air as he returns and be included in his entourage during his triumphal descent from heaven. His coming in this manner will be attended by the general resurrection, the final judgment, and the end of the world. So, having described the two doors and kind of who teaches this, let's go to the passage. So verse 13 starts off, Paul is writing, um, Paul and Silas, but Paul's the main author, says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Paul and Silas had gone to Thessalonica, had, had proclaimed the gospel, and had some, some people from a Greek background come to believe. The main part of the church were, were new believers who had before been Gentile Greeks. And Paul had just begun to teach them what they needed to know when because of the opposition, he was forced to, to flee the city. So there are things that Paul did not get around to teaching them about. And then Timothy had gone to the city. Paul had sent Timothy. Timothy had come back to Paul and gave a report. And there seems to have been one thing that the, the Thessalonians had some misunderstandings about, and that was the return of Christ. They knew Jesus would come again, but there was a particular area in which they were uninformed. And so Paul is going to address that in this passage. And it has to do with those who are asleep. Now, that doesn't mean they're just sleeping. Paul uses that term to talk about believers who've died. And it, it's this idea. You see, if you know Jesus and and die, you're not really dead because you're with him in, his, his, in the throne room. So, so if you know Jesus, you never really die. So it's just a way of saying to be asleep. Your body is asleep while your soul is with Christ waiting, waiting the resurrection. So that's the idea of being asleep. Okay, so, so what ha- happened is the Thessalonians knew Jesus would return Someone from the church had died, maybe more than one person's, possibly as part of the persecution they were facing. And they were worried, is this person going to miss out on the return of Christ? Is it uh, too bad for them? Kind of like they're grieving. Oh, no, this person is going to miss it because they've died. They won't be here when Jesus returns. That is the primary issue which Paul is addressing in this passage. Okay, verse 14. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So he starts by reminding us Jesus died and rose again. And as he died and rose again, so will all who belong to him. We will be, we will, even though we die, we will rise again and have resurrection bodies like Christ did. And so he's saying, when Jesus returns, he'll bring with him those who believers who had previously died. They will be part of the return of Christ, the second coming, because God will make sure they come with him. So unless you're still alive at the return, you'll be one of those, one of those saints. Um, the saint is just one who's been made holy by God, any believer. If you're one of those saints, you'll be with Jesus as he arrives for the second coming. Verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. So Paul had received a specific teaching from the Lord on this issue that he's going to share. And here's the, here's the share, the issue. That we who are alive when Jesus returns, um, that Christians who are alive when Jesus returns, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Believers who've died and are now waiting in the throne room of God for Jesus to return, they get to be first in line in the victory parade with Jesus as he descends. Those who are left alive have to get behind in line you know, we will not proceed. We will not be in front of them at this, this grand entrance of Jesus. And so that's the specific word of the Lord that Paul is sharing with. So we don't need to worry about our, our believing friends who've died. They're not going to miss out. In fact, they're going to be ahead of the line from where we're at. Verse 16, Paul now reviews what will happen at the parousia. He says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. So first of all, remember, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he had 40 days in which he made appearances to the disciples in his resurrection body. And then you had what's called the ascension. He ascended up into the presence of the Father. And so now we, we hold that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father because he ascended there. So at his return, he'll descend. So the Lord himself will descend from heaven, and it says, with a cry of command, voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. That may sound confusing, but imagine you're traveling with a Roman army, and you're about to maybe attack a city or just enter a city. The, the commander maybe Julius Caesar or whatever, would, would give the command. Let's go. You know, go forth. It's time. The, his officers, like the archangels, would announce the command in a loud voice for the soldiers to hear. And then the trumpets would signal to the army as a whole to move forth. So all three of those fit together it's, it's part of all the same process. Jesus will issue the command. He has mighty archangels who will announce the command for all to hear. And the trumpets signal to the time to go forward. And it says that the trump, sound of the trumpet, the dead will rise first. So number one on this 
is anyone who's, who are a follower of Jesus who has died over the last 2,000 years plus who hears the trumpet, their, their bodies will come back. doesn't matter you know, if they were cremated, if they're rotted, if they're buried in the sea, it says from wherever that God will reclaim a body, the, the souls are with heaven. And so the souls come down and the new bodies together are one again. And so the dead will rise first. Um, let's compare that to 1 Corinthians 15, which talks about a similar situation. It's a similar teaching. It says in verse 52, 1 Corinthians 15, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Notice the connection between the trumpet sound and the dead rising. But how will the dead be raised? Imperishable. They're not just coming back in the bodies we have now. They're coming back in bodies that can never die again because we're going to live in the eternal kingdom. Um, so that's for those who had died previously. What about those who are left alive at the coming of Jesus? So it says the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. So if you're left alive, your body will be translated to the new kind of imperishable body. And so... Either whether you're dead or whether you're alive, you'll have the new resurrection imperishable body. So that happens, the first thing, at the trumpet. So then we get to the key verse, verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, so we who are on earth, at the sound of the trumpet, um, when our bodies are translated to this, this resurrection body, it says we would be caught up together with them, Jesus and the other saints, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So, so we go up to where Jesus is at. Um, we, at his return, Jesus says, you'll see me coming in the clouds of heaven. So he's up in the clouds as he comes down. Those who don't know Jesus at his coming will tremble and hide. It talks about them saying, say to the mountains, cover us. They'll be so afraid because they don't know him. All they see is the glory and power and fear fills their heart. But for those who do know him, we know he is the good shepherd. We know his voice. And at the sound of the command, that voice comes to us. And as we are resurrected or translated, we immediately hearken to him. We go where he is at, up in the clouds to meet him as he descends. That is the story. Now, it's at that point the two doors diverge. So door number one, Jesus takes those who are his, um, both the, the, the dead raised and the, the ones who are left alive, back up into heaven um, he reascends with those so that they can escape the great tribulation. That's door number one. Door number two says that, as F.F. Bruce talked about, we are going out to meet Jesus so that he, as he comes into this world in the second coming, we become part of the victory parade. The dead have been raised, and, and at that point, there'll be the final judgment, and 
the redemption, caused the redemption of the sons and daughters of God, and we will be glorified along with Christ. So that is God's plan. Um, the, it, it ends, this verse ends with, and so we will be with him forever. And that is the key principle in that verse. So we will always be with the Lord. You see, when we say yes to Jesus and put our faith in him, he's with us forever. He comes into our life through the Holy Spirit. And as we live our life here on this earth, Christ lives in us. The Holy Spirit is with us. No matter how hard things get, no matter, no matter how much even we stumble and struggle through life, he is with us because he loves us and with us always. And then when we die, we're with him. It says to be absent from the body, we are immediately present with the Lord. We get to, to join in the, the chorus of the, the, the angels singing, holy, holy, holy. Holy is the one who was and is to come around the throne room of God. We'll get to see what's described in Revelations 4 and 5. And it will be amazing. And so there, we will be with him. And then when he returns, we come with him. He doesn't leave us behind. He brings us with him as he returns to earth. And then finally, when he establishes the eternal kingdom, as described in Revelation 21 and 22, it says, there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We will be with them, and it says, and God will make his dwelling place among his people. So the principle, we will always be with him. And then verse 18 simply says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. We need not fear we need not grieve, even, even as this week we have a couple memorial services. We, we mourn those who've, who've gone on to be with the Lord, but we don't grieve like those who don't know because we know our beloved brothers and sisters in Christ will, will be with us in this day. We know Christ will bring the victory, and whatever we face now is nothing compared to what he has planned for his people in that day. So, I want to now make a case for door number two. I have come to, to um, believe that, that door number two is, is where I've landed on how I see things. And let me give you some of the reasons I've, I've landed there. First of all, I believe that the, 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 the rapture as the secret escape is based on a misinterpretation of this passage that they, they, they misunderstand what it means when we're caught up in the air, thinking that means we're going away, when really it means we're going to greet Jesus as he comes down. So, and that's the whole basis for the teaching of the rapture. And, and I think it's based on a wrong interpretation of 1 Thessalonians 4. The second reason is this, this idea of a secret escape um, is not affirmed elsewhere in Scripture. You don't find this concept taught in different places, even when it addresses end times. And especially, it's not taught in Revelation. You'd think that Revelation is the book that talks the most about the end times, 
And yet there's nowhere in Revelation where the rapture is pictured. It has pictures of all kinds of things taking place, but not the rapture. So um, that's, one, that's another reason. A third reason is, is other passages, and really when the Bible talks about the return of Christ, three things always seem to happen together. The return, the resurrection of the believers, the general resurrection, and, and, a, and a final judgment. Those all happen together. The, the door number one sort of separates out a return separate from that. So I, I think it makes more sense that those three things will all happen at one time. The fourth reason I, I've turned to door number two is the logic of door number one doesn't make sense to me. Because it talks about believers being raised from the dead and then being taken up into heaven with Christ. But the truth is, is if you know Jesus and you die, you, you go there right away. Um, now, you, you don't have a body. You're, you're, the souls under the altar in Revelation 5 or 6 is, is, is a part of the picture. But it wouldn't make sense to me to raise the, the dead and then take them up to heaven because the, the thing we're waiting for is the resurrection where we can live in our bodies on earth. So the logic of it, I, I don't quite understand what the logic's about. We are waiting the return of Christ and the bodily resurrection so we can live on the new heaven and the new earth as described in Revelation 21 and 22. Fifth, there's no sense I have in scriptures that believers in Christ will be spared tribulation. In fact, we are promised tribulation. John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, or the word is literally tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome this world. We're promised that we're going to face tribulation, not promised that we will get to escape it. And then lastly, a thing to maybe know is the doctrine of the rapture, at least how it's being taught um, as as a secret escape, is a modern American innovation. The historic church didn't teach this. It came about in the 1800s. Um, John Nelson Darby was the first one to promote it. It became part of the Schofield Bible. And it has become popular among American preachers. So my guess is you have encountered this teaching somewhere in, in America, but it's not the, the main teaching throughout the historic Christian church. Um, so that's at least something to consider when you think about this. But it, I will admit, it does make for cool movies. You know, so the idea of Christians disappearing, but I, I'm, I'm worried that it, it's, it caught on because it's dramatic, not because Scripture teaches it. So those are, those are why I've landed where I have. Um, And I would just say it's important and good to think through and even pray for guidance on this and to to think it out. But truthfully, especially in one way, it's it's not important what we end up believing because it's not our door to choose, right? It's not like we get to choose what happens when Jesus returns. Um, We can believe in a particular door. He's the one that picks which door he goes through. And, and so we shouldn't get too caught up in, in all of it because it's, it's Jesus' decision. And, and I, even though I believe in door number two, if Jesus descends to the clouds and I'm with him and he says, hey, hey, let's go spend seven years up in heaven and let all the bad stuff happen. Let's skip out on that 
And if Jesus says that, I'm in, right? So, yep, all right, sounds good to me, Jesus. You got the plan. So I'm, it, in some ways, it's a fun issue for, for Christians to debate. And maybe we could have Nick organize a Nerf war with the door number two people and door number one people having at it. Just don't get so caught up that we start beating each other with our Nerf guns. So that's all. Um, so in one sense, it doesn't matter. Let me just end with, here's why I think it, in one way it does matter. Because it's about what are we waiting for the Lord to do? What are we looking towards? What are we praying will happen? Do we not pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it already is in heaven? Jesus rules perfectly in heaven. We are praying for, we are waiting for Jesus to bring the kingdom to earth, to this world. And and would we be content if we escape and save ourselves only to see the earth get blown up like I did on our game. Like if that's, that's really the end, is that, is that the victory we're waiting for? Or are we convinced that Jesus is the Lord of this world and he's coming to again to claim it as his own and to set everything right? We are promised that Jesus will redeem creation even as he redeems the people he loves. In Romans 8, it says that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Jesus will not let the enemy win in the end. He will not let the enemy gain a hold of this world. Jesus will come and bring the kingdom. And so we're waiting for him and, and, and to, to bring that about even through us in our life. It's not just for us to sit around and complain about how bad everything is and oh, how I wish he would take us away because life is going down the tubes and we wish people were nicer to us and we wish they didn't make us bake cakes when we don't want to bake a cake and, you know, we, you know, we can get caught up in how bad things are and, um, you know, millennials, are you a little tired about, uh, about previous generations complaining about how bad things are in your generation? Yeah? Good news. I think it's shifting, and you could start shifting the blame to Generation Zoom. So, so if you're in high school now, it's all going to go on you soon. So, but, but we can get caught up in, like, we, it feels like well, the church is shrinking. Well, I remember the glory days when the church was full. and I mean, but, but the truth is, the gospel is abounding and maybe God's doing something special in the American church and he's purifying us and maybe shrinking us for a time so that we better reflect the light of the glory of Christ. But I was talking to the, uh, our missionary, Matt Paschal. Uh, he's coming next week. I can't wait to hear from him. Um, he's, saying, you know, he's seeing the gospel abound. Um, there are people, refugees fleeing to Europe and that's who he works with. And, and we talked about how people who've grown up in Muslim background areas, are, Jesus is appearing to them in dreams. And they're, they're saying yes to Jesus. People who lived in oppressive regimes are finding new freedom in the gospel. The, the, Jesus is not losing. <laughs> He's winning. And we're a part of the winning team. And that's what we're looking forward to. And we know that our faith in him is to spur us to, to love people, to build relationships, to point people to the good news of Jesus, and we are working under the power of his spirit to expand the kingdom of God. Every time someone yields their life to Jesus, every time they start to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth that is in heaven, God's kingdom 
is expanding and growing. One more person, one at a time, people are saying yes to the kingdom as it abounds. So let us encourage one another with these words. Let me end with what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, um, where it also talks about the coming of Jesus. It says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're waiting for, the full victory as Jesus returns. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that nothing can separate us from you. Not, not angels, not powers, not death itself, not persecution. You have promised to be with us always. Lord, and we know one day you are coming back in your fullness and power and glory to set things right in this world. And until that day comes, Lord, we will serve you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we will seek to love the people around us. And we will, as, as you open up doors, we will let them know the good news. Lord Jesus, empower us to be immovable, steadfast in that kind of faith. We pray in Christ's name, amen.